You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Alrighty, righty, So we got quite a bit um, going on today. Got a few questions and things, and I had um, a little bit of a thought. And that was, you know, we all know by now how vastly different this team is. I wanted to just go back a couple years and actually look at the difference in this team. Because I think it's remarkable and ridiculous how different the team is. I mean, it's very different from last year, but you go back a couple years and this has been a complete overhaul. And then I thought I would take those comparisons and kind of compare it to a few other teams or one other team or whatever, just to kind of look at a few other things. But anyways, the Packernet podcast uh, iTunes reviews are sitting at 195 reviews. We need five more, folks. Five more five-star iTunes reviews, and I'll be giving away that PFF subscription. Very, very excited about that. If you have any questions for the show, or if you'd like to uh, text or call about a comment or something you'd like to get off your chest regarding the Green Bay Packers, please text or call 608-501-0718. That's 608-501-0718. If you check the description, there is, in fact, a link there. That link will take you to Link of Links where you will be able to purchase any merchandise, join the Facebook group, uh, help out the podcast through Patreon, PayPal, Venmo, subscribe to PFF with a discount. If anyone is planning on paying for Pro Football Focus, please use that discount code. And let me know if you do, because I'm just curious, number one, if, it, if the discount is even still active, and number two, I want to know if they're still offering me a $10 bill for that. Just curious. So anyways, let's take our little bit of a break, and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So I was talking to a friend of mine, and we were talking about how different the team is and how exciting it's going to be. And it just, it seems like every time I talk about it, it it hits me harder every single time. It's so rare for this team to make any sort of drastic change that to have one that's this drastic, it kind of just came out of nowhere, and it just, it's weird. And it's funny because if you had asked me, I don't know, a week ago or whatever, whether or not the team was in rebuild mode, I probably would have said no. In my mind, it's like we got we to gotta decide whether or not these couple changes, you know, through free agency or whatever you, it might be, we got to decide whether it's time to tear this thing down and rebuild it. Dude, they, they, did. they did. It's done. I mean, I, I don't know if it's done, but w- when I talked about the salary cap yesterday or the day before, again, there's not a lot of opportunity outside of the draft to really do anything as far as a rebuild unless we're dropping key contributors so that we can get other people, but that doesn't really make a sense. You drop Mike Daniels so you can go pick somebody else up who, what? Who's as good as Mike Daniels? Who's maybe going to be as good, but probably going to be a bust? That doesn't really make a lot of sense. 
basically over the course of two years, we have a brand new GM, new defensive coordinator, uh, new head coach, and new almost everybody in between. Then if we just look at the roster, and this is this is going back exactly two years ago, so we're talking going back to June of 2017. So during the season may have been a little bit different because you maybe have some rookies that kind of stand out and it shuffles things up, but I want to go back two years um, to say, okay, what was the thought process two years ago? Where were we two years ago? So let's just run through it real quick just as a refresher. Obviously, our quarterback was still Aaron Rodgers. Our number one running back in 2017, two years ago, was Ty Montgomery. Now, we had Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones, but we didn't know what we had in them. So we had Ty Montgomery and a bunch of rookies, and our our running back, too, was this fourth-round guy named Jamal Williams. Our wide receiver one two years ago was Jordy. Wide receiver two two years ago was Randall Cobb. Wide receiver three two years ago was Devontae Adams. Now, Devontae had a great year in 2017, and he had a decent enough year in 2016, but that was sort of his first kind of breakout year. And it wasn't breakout like, ooh, wow, this guy's top 10. It was breakout like, all right, cool, he didn't, he wasn't terrible this year. Maybe we were wrong about cutting him. But going into the season, he was still number three. Offensive line from left tackle to center, Bakhtiari, Taylor, and Lindsley were the same. At right guard, the plan was Don Barclay, and then right tackle was Brian Balaga, so very similar. Tight end one, Martellus Bennett. Tight end two, Richard Rodgers. Defensive tackle, uh, the top guy was Mike Daniels, although Kenny Clark was nipping at his heels. This was after his rookie year. So it was already like, he looks pretty good. We'll see what happens. Uh, Number two was Kenny Clark. Number three, I'm not positive. Basically, I feel like they were kind of the same, Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark, and Dean Lowry. However, if you look at our lads, for whatever reason, maybe I'm wrong about this, I feel like he was never really number three, but they had Christian Ringo. So maybe, maybe Dean wasn't really a thing yet. Our edge rushers were Nick Perry and Clay Matthews, who are now Preston and Zedarius. I decided to add a third pass rusher just because I needed to put Rashawn Gary on that list as well. So our our edge rusher three in 2017 was J. Roan Elliott. So we went from Perry, Matthews, and J. Roan to Preston, Zedarius, and Gary. It should probably be Zedarius and then Preston and then Gary. I don't know. In terms of like today, what would the Packers probably do? Don't know the answer to that. Uh, linebacker one was Jake Ryan. Linebacker two was Blake Martinez. Now it's uh, Blake and Burks. Quarterbacks one, two, and three. Randall has become Jair. House has become King. Rollins has become Jackson. That might be the biggest difference in this team as far as being a good team and being not a good team. And our safeties went from Haha to Savage and Burnett to Amos. That's two years. Same quarterback, very similar offensive line, very similar defensive line. Pretty much everything else is either completely different or slightly different, like Blake uh, remaining at inside linebacker and becoming number one. You know, Jamal being number two on the list, even though he was always number two, I guess. But getting leapfrogged by Aaron Jones. Devontae going from three to number one while Jordy and Cobb are gone. I mean, just looking at who's gone. Ty Montgomery, Jordy, Cobb, uh, Barclay, Martellus, Richard Rogers, Ringo, Perry, Matthews, J. Roan, uh, Blake, Randall, House, Rollins, Haha, and Burnett. Those are just the starters that are gone. Compare that to Aaron Rodgers, Jamal Williams, uh, Devontae, and then five of our offensive line or four of our offensive linemen. Daniels, Clark, uh, Blake, and that's it. In two years! What is that? It's like 40% of our starters are just gone. And almost all of them have at least shifted their position a little. And it's funny because another thing that would have I would have said if you'd asked me is the defense is basically 100% overhauled. The offense hasn't really changed much. That's not true. Now, if you want to talk about change for the better... Defense has changed wildly. The offense, I don't know. Martellus and Richard Rodgers to Jimmy and Mercedes, I hope is a massive upgrade. But minus the attitude issues and being a diva loser, uh, Jimmy and Martellus have not been very divergently different. Richard Rodgers and Mercedes, as much as I've been dogging Richard Rodgers as just being you know, somebody that's waiting to be replaced, I would say Richard Rodgers was a much bigger pr- contributor than Mercedes was. Um, Don Barclay to Billy Turner, we'll see. Devontae, MVS, and GMO compared to Jordy Cobb and Devontae. I'm taking Jordy Cobb and Devontae. Uh, Ty Montgomery and Jamal 
becomes Aaron and Jamal, although Aaron was already there and we kind of, you know, whatever. So the offense has gotten a little bit worse, although it hopefully improves. Defense, though, has been mass, but but still, it's it's changed. Still part of the overhaul process. Then from there, what I wanted to do is, and I've actually never done this before, something else I would have been wrong about is if you would have said, in Aaron Rodgers' tenure, what was their best year? I probably would have said 9, 10, 11, somewhere in there. And maybe that's correct, but I decided to go back and look at PFF and see what they had to say. Obviously, the Packers had very high grades in several years, but the highest grade that they had was actually 2014. Packers in 2014 were 12 and 4. They actually started the season um, 1 and 2, losing to Seattle and Detroit, and then went 11 and 2 for the rest of the season, losing only to the Saints and then to the Buffalo Bills toward the end of the season. And then this was the year we went on to beat Dallas and then lose to Seattle in spectacular fashion. But the reason I wanted to do this is to say, okay, so we're we're very different, and arguably we're different for the better. How far away is the 2019 team from the 2014 team? Well, the first question was, okay, well, who was on the 2014 team that was so special? And I kind of, I well, kind of, I, I like the team a lot. Not a perfect team, but you kind of go through it and it's like, wow, that's uh, that's pretty solid. So let's compare, shall we? Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers. We had Eddie Lacy and Starks. Now we have Aaron Jones and Jamal. I like what we have. I'm good with it. And I, I, I'm... I don't mean that to sound sarcastic. I really liked Eddie Lacy. I don't really understand the dislike of Eddie Lacy. I know it was kind of frustrating that, um, you know, he started off slow, usually in the beginning of the season. There were the weight issues. He kind of fell off. Eddie Lacy was a lot of fun to watch. He was a very, very good running back. For his size to be as agile and as quick as he was, um, and obviously the power that he had, he was he was a blast to watch. It, it, it's almost, in my mind, and it's kind of a weird analogy, but, you know, keeping it Packers, Eddie Lacy was like Brett Favre, and Aaron Jones is like Aaron Rodgers. Yes, Aaron Jones is probably a better running back, and he's got a higher potential. Hopefully he has a longer career. The injury issues are concerning. But Eddie Lacy was fun, man. I mean, I, I, I you know, just getting up and cheering and, and watching him just kind of lumber around and the power and everything. I just He was just fun, man. I like Eddie Lacy a lot. And uh, it, was, it was tough that it ended the way that it did because he, he, he was solid. But um, health aside, I suppose, obviously, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. I shouldn't even say obviously. I, I, I would take that. Wide receivers, we had Jordy, Cobb, and Adams. Now, it sounds better than it is because Devontae Adams was in his rookie year, and it was not a great year. 500 and some yards. Let's see, 570 yards and four touchdowns. 61% completion, uh, reception percentage. PFF gave him uh, good grades on three games that year. His one against Dallas um, in the playoffs was uh, very good. Otherwise, just not great. That said, however, Jordy and Cobb were in just peak condition. Right, Randall Cobb had a very good grade. Jordy Nelson was, you know, well, he was about the same, actually. But this is back in the day when the Packers are looking at two top 10, two top 15 wide receivers, somewhere in that range. Actually looking at it, Pro Football Focus graded Randall Cobb as the 10th best wide receiver and Jordy Nelson as the 8th best in 2014. So they did have two top 10 wide receivers, according to PFF. Now, essentially, as much as it seems like that is unattainable, it's really not. I think Devontae has the ability to be better than what Jordy was, as, as blasphemous as that almost sounds, I think we understand Devontae Adams, at least as far as his route running, is, is about as good as, as Rodgers has played with. And again, Jordy was eighth that year. I, I think Devontae, I think it's a different skill level. just seems like it's so hard. But it, bottom line is Devontae can be better. It's just a question of what Marquez can be. And then you've also got to look at the trio. Because remember, Devontae was not great. I think he was graded as like mediocre, somewhere around 60 so if Geronimo, let's just say, if he is the number three, can be better than Adams was. Say he can be like 70. And MVS can be, I don't know, 70, high 70s, 80-ish, you know, top 20, top 15. I don't know, top 15 is greedy. It, it's going to be hard. I mean, bottom line is 2014 wide receivers are probably going to be better. I'm trying to rationalize how it could possibly be as good. I don't think it's going to be. Jordy and Cobb in 2014 was just something special. But hopefully MVS and Geronimo and EQ or whoever ends up being number two and three or whatever the, the situation is, as a group, hopefully that they, they can be, they can rival what 2014 wide receiver group was, which wasn't, again, it wasn't very deep. This is beyond the point at which 
you know, the Packers have a super deep group of wide receivers. You know, the, their third highest graded wide receiver was actually Jeff Janis. Right? Jeff Janis, uh, Kevin Dorsey, uh, Jared Boykin. Those were the wide receivers that year. It's not a great group. And, and that's, in a way, that's somewhat encouraging because the Packers have better depth today than they did in 2014 when the Packers are graded super high. I mean, the highest that they've been graded in Aaron Rodgers' tenure, possibly in the PFF era, I'm not sure. If we move on to offensive line, I do not expect the offensive line to be as good because I just, this was just, this was it. David Bakhtiari, Josh Sitton, Corey Lindsley, TJ Lang, and Brian Balaga. That is the offensive line right there. Um, essentially, it's it's the same three that we have today that is just in a top-tier offensive line, except Josh Sitton was, you know, depending on the year, probably in 2014, Josh Sitton was actually our best line. I, I, let me just check. Yeah, number two player on the entire team behind Aaron Rodgers. TJ Lang was our next best offensive lineman. So imagine our offensive line today, except Bakhtiari's better. But Josh Sitton and T.J. Lang are, are our next best offensive linemen. That's just, that's a ridiculous offensive line. I don't know if we're going to have that again. But it is the reason I keep banging the drum for guards, 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 because it does matter. I want that back so bad. The tight ends. Again, encouraging, because you think about it and say, how good can this be if we don't have tight ends? Well, in 2014, highest graded year the, the Packers have had, Corliss and Bostic. That was it. Now, obviously, we should know that it probably wasn't great because the Packers haven't had anything great really hardly ever, but there you go. Defensive line is one area as we move on to defense where the Packers... Actually, the defense in general is an area where I don't know if it's going to be better because this is a really solid defense, but it could rival it in certain areas. One of those areas is along the defensive line. Obviously, now we've got Kenny, Mike D, and, and Dean Lowry. And Dean Lowry, you can sub out with Zedarius and, and Montravius and Kiki and a bunch of guys. Back then, they had Mike Daniels, who was obviously a monster, uh, Dayton, and Guyon. And actually, if you look back at snap counts as far as who actually played the most, Mike Daniels obviously was the top guy. And even Mike, at that point, wasn't exactly the guy that he is today. Um, his grade was good. He, uh, he actually breaks out the next year in 2015. But after Mike is Latroy Guyon, and the next guy is actually Josh Boyd, who's ahead of Dayton a little bit. Uh, but you also got Mike Pennell on the defensive line. Uh, Luther Robinson was uh, the last one. So I would probably keep our defensive line as it is today. I mean, just Kenny Clark by himself is enough reason to say that this is a better defensive line. Then if you look at the edge, this was Clay Matthews and Julius Peppers. Now, Clay still was not you know, that great, but he was still better than what we remember. And then Julius, I mean, that was, that was a fun duo to watch. I almost feel like Julius Peppers kind of got Clay Matthews a little bit fired up. Um, I, Clay Matthews basically fell off in 2012, as sad as that is to say. However, he had two little resurgences. One was in 2017, surprisingly enough. The other was in 2014 when Julius was around. Very minor resurgence, but it was something before he completely fell off a cliff in 2015, 2016, and then 2018 obviously wasn't great either. But it was fun to watch those two play. Now, obviously, if we factor in age, I'm taking the Green Bay Packers edge rushers today. Uh, the number three guy was Nick Perry. And no, he was not good that year. He was he was hot garbage in 2014. J. Ron Elliott was actually graded higher despite uh, playing hardly at all, but that shouldn't be surprising. J I like J. Ron Elliott. But, I mean, it, as a group, Julius was the only guy that stood out. Julius was absolutely dynamite. Clay was all right. Uh, J. Roan was meh. Julius, excuse me, Nick Perry was not great. And then they had Mike Neal. Now, I don't know what we're going to get as far as production, but again, just based on age and, and, and you know, upside, Preston, Zadarius, Rashawn, Kyler, I just think that's a better group. So the defensive front as a whole, defensive line and outside linebackers, I think this is a better group in 2017 than it was in 2014, and that's huge. Now, as far as inside linebackers, in 2014, we had A.J. Hawk and Brad Jones. At least that's who was listed on our lads. The top contributors were A.J. Hawk and Sam Barrington. This was well into A.J. Hawk's decline. His, his last decently productive year was in 2012. Uh, 2014 was actually his worst year as a as a Packer. Um, he he was he played one year in Cincinnati and it was actually slightly better, but it was still not good and he was gone after that. Sam Barrington also had a very poor grade, so um, very unlikely unless Blake completely falls off a cliff that our linebackers are worse. And again, it's exciting 
because I'm trying to compare to the best Packers team that I can find. And being as unbiased as I can possibly be, I don't see that stark of a difference. I mean, it, it, it's, well, let me, let me finish and then I'll, I'll get to that because this is where it, it gets a little crazy. And, you know, I'm hoping we can get to somewhere near this level. But if you look at the DBs, um, CB1, 2, and 3, the cornerback, Tremont Williams, who is still on the team, hilariously enough, but Tremont has become Jair. Tremont was our number one guy. And I do think that that's a, an upgrade, even for this time period. Tremont in, in, uh, in 2014, I don't think, was quite on the level that uh, Jair, Jair was, even last year, and I expect uh, an, an improvement from Jair. Sam Shields has become Kevin King. Now, interestingly enough, and, and, and when I say the names, it's like, dude, Tremont and Shields, and you go through the list. These are a, This is a good group. Sam Shields didn't have the greatest year. I mean, this was still in his, I mean, so 2012 was Sam Shields at, at a premium, and he'd never really played, I shouldn't say that, seven, eight, nine hundred snaps, I guess. But 2012 was like his big year. 2013 was a good year. He dipped in 2014, came back in 2015, and then fell off. Well, I shouldn't say fell off. He didn't really play. He was injured in 2016, and then obviously came back to the NFL. But throughout his career, which was pretty solid, 2014 was a dip for him. And uh, somewhat similar for Tremont, although he was kind of volatile. 2009 and 10, he was real good. 2011-12, he was okay. 2013, he was real good. And then uh, 14, he kind of dipped again, and that's when he kind of bailed off to Cleveland. Cleveland, he kind of stayed at that kind of meh range. 2017 in Arizona, he blew up again, kind of was back in that 2009-2010 range. And obviously in 2018, he, he dipped again back into the meh category. But then our number three cornerback, at least in terms of snaps, was Casey Hayward. And Casey Hayward was a freak in 2014. Casey Hayward also has been a little bit volatile, but he's never been bad. Like, ever. He was, in, in 2012, his first year, 748 snaps, he was graded as elite. First year, NFL passer rating against uh, Casey Hayward in 2012 in his rookie year, 748 snaps that year. His, his NFL passer rating against was 30.4. Six interceptions, 12 pass breakups. What in the world is that? For context, in 2018, the entire defense had seven interceptions. In 2012, uh, Casey Hayward had six by himself. I know we're talking about 2014, not 2012. I'm just trying to give you an idea of how crazy he was in his rookie year. Josh Jackson, by the way, had 11 pass breakups, who was the closest to uh, Casey Hayward's 12. But bear in mind, he had zero interception. The next highest was six by Jair. So that's how Casey Hayward broke onto the scene. Uh, 2013, pretty decent. 2014, again, massive year. He's had three years where he's just been a freak. One of those years was 2017 with the Chargers. But 2014 was a really, really big year. And I'm actually a little surprised as to why he wasn't just automatically our number one cornerback. He was our number three behind Tremont uh, and Sam Shield. And I got nothing against Tremont and Sam, Sam Shields, but given the production he had, he should have been, and I, you know, again, my memory is garbage, which is why I don't do history stuff. Obviously, I was around in 2014, huge fan. I was watching, but I wasn't paying close enough attention that I can remember. If you remember, please tell me why in the world uh, Casey Hayward wasn't the guy. Maybe it was injuries. I don't, I don't know. Although I'm looking at 2014, he played every single game. Uh, not week two, I guess, because that was a bye? You have byes in week two? Oh, no, week nine. Okay, I was going to say, there's still bye in week two. But anyways, yes, he was a freak. So as a unit, if, if we just read it out loud and say, okay, so we're going from Tremont, Shields, and Hayward to Jair, King, and Jackson, it's like, dude, I'll, I'll take Tremont, Shields, and Hayward. That is a freakish, that is a, a phenomenal group. And it is. But again, I'm comparing directly to 2014, and in 2014, Jair is better than Tremont, King was is probably a little better than Shields, although the injury issue, but leaving the injury thing aside, I think King has a very good opportunity to be better than Shields, considering Shields was just average. Shields was what King is close to being anyways. If he can just take a, a quarter of a step forward, he's already ahead of where Hayward was. The, the big difference here is that Josh Jackson has no, in no way is he ever going to be Hayward. So I guess if we kind of reshuffle it, it changes the dynamic a little bit. Because Hayward is probably better than Jair is going to be. Um, Tremont was probably better than King is going to be. And Shields, I don't know. I don't know. But but again, the potential of being there. In other words, 
having a group that could possibly look like Tremont Shields and Hayward one day, whether it's this year, next year, or whatever, that's kind of exciting. And then at um, safety, we had um, Hyde becomes Savage, and Burnett becomes Amos. And I do think the Packers have the ability to be a better unit than Hyde and Burnett. I'm sorry, it's not Hyde. Hyde, Hyde was a big contributor, and our lads did put him ahead. This must have been HaHa's kind of breakout year or something. He, HaHa, it was HaHa and Burnett, and Hyde had a very, very big role. It was almost 800 snaps. But if you look at it, this was HaHa's first year. He wasn't super great in his first year. Actually, he wasn't super great in his third or fourth either, or fifth if you ask Packer fans. It's really just that second year where he <laughs> kind of seemed like we had something there. But again, comparing just to 2014, I mean, we, we can play the game where if we just look at the players and then get real excited because, you know, they were good at one point in their career, but maybe not 2014. That's just unfair because you're building a Packers team that never existed. We need to look at 2014 for what it was. And um, HaHa Clinton Dix was a rookie, and he was just kind of okay. And Burnett was kind of on the back nine. He was just kind of okay. I think Amos is going to be better than Burnett. I, I don't think that's... I, I think Amos's floor is Morgan Burnett. And that's coming from somebody that really admires Morgan Burnett a lot. But I think Amos is very similar, just better. I, I liked Burnett that he was reliable, that he was good in several facets. You you were comfortable with him in coverage. You were comfortable with him as a tackler, as just a well-rounded guy. I think Amos is that kind of guy, too. He doesn't have super high upside like Savage, but he's just consistent. And, I, and, and again, that's what Burnett was. I just think Amos is, is a better, higher top-end, consistent type player. And then, you know, Savage in his first year compared to HaHa in his first year. We'll see what happens. It's actually kind of funny that, you know, we're comparing both in their rookie years. Both of them first-round picks. Um, I don't know. I think HaHa, even coming in, was always just that more well-rounded, you know, Alabama. Doesn't have super elite measurables, but just a reliable uh, safety. And and, uh, Savage comes in way more high upside, you know, rangy, ball-hawking. So we'll see. I mean, that, that, that can bite you, too. But, you know, the, the thing that I love about this is that if you look at the overhaul, it feels like not that much has changed. But if you compare 2014 to 2017, there's no question why 2017, and, and for that matter, 2018, wasn't super great, right? Would you take Aaron and Jamal or Lacey and Starks? Probably Aaron and Jamal. How about Ty and Jamal? Outside, outside of that, I think the offense was relatively similar in 2017, although... This is Jordy and Cobb on the downswing a little bit, although Jordy was still playing at a pretty high level. It's hard because 2017 was weird with Aaron Rodgers' injury. The consensus seemed to be Jordy fell off, although I don't agree with that. I think Jordy was fine, and we saw that at the beginning of the season when Aaron Rodgers was playing and, and Jordy was, was doing fine. But new quarterback comes in, can't get the ball to Jordy down the field, and that makes him look useless. But still, Jordy in 2014 compared to 2017, and Cobb especially in 2014 compared to 2017, big difference. However, this is when Devontae was really starting to step up. And obviously 2014's offensive line was wildly better than 2017. But then especially when you look at defense, Peppers, Matthews, and Perry compared to Perry, Matthews, and J. Rome. Hawk and Jones compared to Jake and Blake. Tremont, Shields, Hayward, Hyde, Burnett, HaHa compared to uh, Randall, House, Rollins, HaHa, and Burnett. That, that right there is the killer as well as several of these guys really starting to come on the downswing because Ted Thompson wasn't doing a good enough job drafting. So in order to be a good team, we were relying on guys that were good in 2014 to stay good in 2017, and it wasn't working. And, and new guys coming in like Randall House and, and Rollins, or not really House, but Randall and Rollins and, and HaHa, I guess, not being what you want them to be. Bringing in guys like Martellus Bennett not being what you want them to be. Guys like Perry and Matthews not being what you need them to be. Ty Montgomery, right? Jamal Williams. Somebody needs to step up and take the reins and be a, a top-tier guy, and nobody wants to do it. But when you compare it to 2019, and there's a lot of unknowns, I think the potential is there to be kind of close and on defense to, to kind of rival it. And that's important as well because what's been missing from the Packers is defense. You know, in, tw- in 2014, when the Packers were close, they had a pretty good defense. And really the question becomes, what's the upside? I don't think the offensive line is going to quite get there, but I think the offensive line could be massively improved depending on what we get from guys like Elton Jenkins, guys like Billy Turner, maybe guys like Cole Madison. Again, I don't have super high expectations, but he's obviously an option as well. It can and should be a massive improvement, at least from 2018 and 2017. I think the tight end group can and should be better than it has been in any of these years, whether it's Corliss and Bostic or Martellus and Rogers, or even Jimmy Graham and Mercedes last year. 
I think with the new offensive scheme, it should help guys like Mercedes and Jimmy, especially Mercedes having, assuming he's even going to be on the team, we'll see, but having his old offensive coordinator back from Jacksonville, but also having a guy like Jay Sternberger um, and Robert Tanyan. I, I think the scheme should make this one of the better groups that we've had, certainly better than 2014 with Corliss and Bostic. But then the defense, again, is where not only is it better already in certain areas like the defensive front, which is super important, but I don't know for sure that the rest of the defense isn't going to be better. But I think, Again, I think Blake and Burks has a good opportunity of being better than Hawk and Brad Jones. A lot of that rests on Burke not being terrible. But if he can just be kind of mediocre, they're already ahead of Hawk and Jones or Hawk and Barrington. And then the really, really big question, and I think this is a very pivotal thing, and I've kind of said this before, but now looking at this, this is the pivotal thing, is our secondary. Jair, King, Jackson, Savage, and Amos. If this is the defense and and largely the team, I think, kind of depends on if these guys are not very good, if Jair, King, and Jackson are basically the same as they were last year, not to say Jair wasn't good, but Jair, King, and Jackson, you get basically the same production from them, and then... Savage has not a great rookie year. Amos falls off. I think the team as a whole is going to struggle, right? I I think even if they're good enough to get into the playoffs, this is the kind of defense without a secondary that you maybe win in in the wild card, then you go on and you just get blown out because you just can't keep up, right? Aaron Rodgers is trying to keep up with this offense. He's got a head coach who's never been in this position before as a head coach or any position, but it's hard to win a Super Bowl when you don't really know what you're doing in the postseason. But then, you know, you, you just don't have the secondary to, to stifle um, the onslaught that's coming from these teams that are making it into the playoffs. If they're good enough, then, you know, it's, it's going to be pretty solid, right? If, if they take a step, but they're not super great. But if this team can, if, if, if Jair and King and Jackson can be number one healthy and number two actually take a step and, and play like they were drafted, I'm not asking for the world here. I'm asking for Jair to play like a first-round draft pick and for King and Jackson to play like second-round draft picks. If Amos can just play like he played last year and Savage can even come up with, you know, 70% of his expectations, he's going to be a pretty good safety. If we can just get that, if we can get guys to just play like they're expected expected to play, Jair first, King and Jackson a second, Savage like a first-round pick, and Amos to play like he played with the Bears, we're set. And if this can be a dominant group with that pass rush coming from the interior as well as the edge rushers, with the linebackers playing decent enough... It really is just the sky's the limit. And at that point, it's just a matter of, is this this offensive scheme going to get the offense moving, or is it still going to be like last year's team? Because if this offense offense can just produce, and Aaron Rodgers can kind of get us back to not even necessarily where it was in 2014, but 2017 even, before he got hurt, I thought the offense looked great. It was marching down the field with no problems. If we can just get over this hiccup that we got in 2018, again, this is a lot of ifs and maybes, but... They're not wild-eyed expectations. I'm not asking the 2018 team to come in and be like they were in 2014. I'm asking this brand-new defense that had nothing to do with 2018 to be better, or the ones that were here to take a step because it's their second year. The other thing I think is cool is if you look at the 2014 team, it's not really stacked with elite talent. It's a team that more so has good talent across the board. It's it's good enough. Aaron Rodgers is elite, and we still have Aaron Rodgers. Lacey and Starks was good enough. Lacey, I think, was was high-end, but he's not Le'Veon Bell. He's not any of these type of guys. He was just, he was good. He he was better than the three and a half yards of carry that you're used to. He's, he's kind of getting that four yards per carry. He's getting his chunks. He's consistent. He's reliable. Lacey and Starks was good enough. You know, Corliss and Bostic were good enough. Same with, like, Richard Rodgers. It's good enough. Just a reliable target. Mike Daniels, Dayton Jones, Latroy Guyon, they were good enough. Peppers and Matthews, eh, I mean, I guess if you average it out, good enough, especially with Perry in there. Hawk and Barrington, not great, but good enough. Shields, Hayward, Hyde, Burnett, Tremont, with the exception of Hayward, I don't think there was any super high-end talent. But again, it's just it's just you don't have these super weak links. And I think that was a big problem with the Packers when they were failing. You've got these horrific weak links like Demarius Randall and Quentin Rollins. How do you build a defense when you have such glaring, horrific cornerback play? When a team can just bring in their number one wide receiver and say, I'm just going to throw to you all game long, and they just rack up points. And then it's like, all right, Aaron, we can't stop them from scoring. You're going to have to score touchdowns on basically every drive, and we'll just hope we can hold them to a field goal once or twice, and that's how we're going to win this game. 
I think good enough actually speaks volumes. I think, you know, it, I've mentioned it before, but you look at teams like the Cowboys. I don't know. They do. They have some top-tier talent. But in a lot of ways, it's just they're just solid across the board. I think that's more so what the Packers are, and that's what I would like them to be. And from there, you get those couple elite pieces that push you over the edge, right? The running backs with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, good enough with high-end potential. Devontae Adams, MVS, and GMO, good enough but again, high-end potential. you got your elite receiver in Devontae. You've got the potential with MVS, you know, Geronimo, Equinemius, whoever it is you want to put that on. Um, if we can get the guards, you know, Turner and Taylor to be good enough, you've got the elite pieces like Bakhtiari. I think the offensive line is good enough with some high-end guys in there. The tight ends last year were not good enough. I think the potential to be good enough is there, and then we'll see what happens with Jace. Kenny Clark, Mike Daniels, Dean Lowry, all these guys... No question, there's there's not that weak link that's just going to destroy you. And then there's the question of what is the upside, right? The floor could actually be really high depending on who's playing and, and how well they're playing. But then, of course, when you got Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels next to each other, that's a freakish combination. Then you look at Preston and Zedarius and, and Gary and um, and Kyler. The floor is relatively high because you've got enough guys. You've got a lot of depth. You've got good enough, whereas, you know, the good thing about Preston Zedarius and Gary is that they're not Kyler Fackrell. And I, again, I don't mean to keep slapping the guy. He had a bunch of sacks and that's cool, but Kyler had those weak links. Kyler could be attacked. Kyler could be attacking at times, but more often than not, he's the kind of guy you look at him, you see him on the field and you say, we're going to run right at him. He can't handle it. Zedarius, Preston and Gary, these guys are problems. You have to worry about them. Even if they're not coming every single play, you know you can't run at them very easily. They're very big. They're very strong. They're very consistent. They are, I think their floor is good enough with, again, the high-end potential. If we can just get one of these guys to be elite or just get three of them to be good enough that as a group, it's one of the scarier groups in the NFL. Blake and Burks, I think, is good enough because the defensive line and edge rush. We just need somebody that can kind of clean up. Burks, with his speed, I think is ideal for something like that. Um, in other words, you don't have to be... It doesn't take much more than athleticism to, to say, okay, the, the defensive front is going to keep you clean. We're going to keep the blockers off of you. You just find the guy with the ball and run as fast as you can and go knock his head off. And then with Blake there to kind of be the, the captain in the middle and, and kind of help guide Burks and to kind of do his thing, I think it's good enough. And again, pretty high-end potential because I think Blake Martinez... You know, especially when we when we take it in context. Everybody wants to say Blake isn't good enough. Okay, you want to go what? Back to Hawk and Barrington? Blake is a very good linebacker, and he's one of the better linebackers the Packers have had in some time. You go back 10 years, there's maybe a handful you could say are better than Blake Martinez. Not very many compared to the list of guys we've had that are much worse. Again, good enough. Jair King and Jackson, if you compare to Randall House and Rollins, miles ahead. And I do think it's good enough. Um... You know, I have my concerns, but there's a lot of teams that have worse situations than this, even if guys don't take a step. But again, with the high-end potential, it's good enough that you're not just going to be gashed. You might be, you know, Kevin King might have a bad day, Jair might have a bad day, Jackson, depending on the matchup, whatever. It, it, it can struggle, but it's not a consistent, we're doomed because this person is on the field kind of thing. Every single one of them can hold their own. And again, high-end potential. Jair has high-end potential. Jackson, if he can take a step and become, you know, that kind of ball-hawking guy. Again, 11 pass breakups last year is already freakish. That's a great number. Turn some of those into picks. Get a little bit more comfortable in his coverage and, and what he needs to do. Again, he kind of switched from being an outside zone guy to, like, a slot press man. It's just a very weird. And they moved him all over. He was a linebacker. He was on the boundary. He's doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And then Kevin King, obviously, with his height and length and athleticism and everything is... is very high potential as well. Savage and Amos. I don't know that they're good enough, but I think Amos in and of himself makes it good enough. It's just a matter of, is Savage going to be a liability? But I think having one safety that's not super great, it's hard to just attack. I I shouldn't say it's hard to attack that. We've seen what happens, like Kentrell Bryce, when teams want to key in on somebody or Josh Jones. So it, it can be a big liability. We'll have to see, but I feel confident in the fact that between Amos and Savage, it's going to be a good enough unit. And again, yes, high-end potential. Amos, two years ago, 2017, was what, the third best safety in the NFL? Didn't fall off very much in 2018. And Savage, we drafted, we we moved up in the first round to get the guy, and there's no question as to why. And yes, high-end potential. 
everywhere across this team. And I, I, this isn't just a Packers fan talking. I don't know that very much of this is debatable. And I'm not saying I think any of them are going to step up. I'm just saying what I'm looking for, what I'm asking from the 2019 team is for across the board, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, offensive line, defensive line, edge rusher, linebacker, corner safety, I want good enough. Be consistent. Right? That's the big thing. Tackling, fundamentals. Be consistent, be good enough, be stifling, right? It's just difficult because everybody just does their job. If we can start there and then have a couple people, whether it's consistently throughout the year, like Aaron Rodgers is just great as opposed to being good enough, a couple guys like, you know, Devontae are great all year. But even beyond that, if we can just have on a game-by-game basis, maybe in one game Zadarius just goes off and the next game it's Gary and the next game it's Mike Daniels has three sacks. and the ne- You know what I mean? We, we've got the depth that, it, that you don't have to be freakish in every single game. We just need consistently good enough. We, we need everybody to, be, to not be that guy that just blows it for the whole team. And then somebody steps up every game. You know, Savage has a couple picks. Jimmy Graham goes off in some game. You know, he's just a mismatch nightmare. They, they just can't handle him. You know, Marquez is, is lined up against their number two who runs a 4-6. You know, he's going up against Tease Tabor who's... You know, five foot one runs a f- six foot flat forty. Obviously, exaggerating all that, but you know what I mean. It's it's just something consistently that the other team just can't stop it. Nobody can really scheme against us because we don't have that glaring weakness. And again, that is maybe the biggest asset for this team. It's not the high upside. It's the fact that the floor is relatively high. So we're obviously not going to get to any of the questions. I thought this was pretty cool. This was fun for me to look at. And I, you know. It's not perfect. But also remember, 2014 is the best Packers team I could find. If if I just compare them to 2013, 2012, 2011, 2010, 2009, all of which were good teams, do the Packers have the necessary tools to be one of those teams? All of which had playoff potential, all of which had Super Bowl potential, obviously one of which was a Super Bowl championship. And I suppose for fun, we can go back and look at that. 2010, obviously, we won the Super Bowl. Um, but on the season, we were only 10-6, and six, right? We, we kind of struggled. Talked about it already. I did a full episode on it. That was a lot of fun going back and actually reading articles and getting a feel for what people thought about the Packers. But it was a struggle. You know, from week three to week six, we went 1-3, uh, and three, losing to the Bears, the Redskins in overtime, and the Dolphins in overtime. Then coming out of the bye, we beat the Vikings, lose to the Falcons, beat the 49ers, lose to the Lions, lose to the Patriots. And then it becomes... Uh, situation where you, you can't lose anymore you got to win against the Giants and the Bears and even then you need a lot of help to be able to get in and we got lucky had things fallen differently the, the things that are outside of our control we would have never even made it into the playoffs and there would have been no Super Bowl but um, you know look at that team again Aaron Rodgers offensive line was just out of control that's that's another area where you, you want to see the Packers consistently playing well offensive line is a big key Chad Clifton was our left tackle Nowhere near Bakhtiari's level, but he was solid, obviously, toward the end of his career. Um, Josh Sitton was playing out of his mind. Darren College was the other guard. He was a solid guard. Scott Wells was an unbelievable center. Um, And then uh, Brian Balaga at right tackle. I don't know if this was his rookie year or what, but he wasn't all that great. But still, across the board, pretty solid group, especially Josh Sitton and Scott Wells. Uh, Wide receivers, that's an area we probably can't touch. But depth is pretty solid. And actually, if you look at it, nobody was super elite at this time. Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, Jordy Nelson, uh, James Jones. These were the, the top guys as far as, you know, targets and whatnot. There was also Brett Swain. But the highest graded wide receiver on the year was actually Greg Jennings, and he was graded as good. Jordy Nelson was good. James Jones and Dr- Donald Driver. And obviously, Donald Driver was on massive downswing. It was kind of to the point where it was like, I don't know if he should even be playing. But they were just graded out as average. Uh, running backs, Brandon Jackson and James Starks with John Kuhn at fullback. Eh, right? It's just kind of meh. So, so far, I mean, honestly, the offensive line might be better now, especially when you consider the left tackle situation. Brian Balaga is even better than he was. Um, the interior don't have Sitton and Wells, but whatever. Um, the wide receiver situation is arguably better just because nobody on this team was Devontae quality. The depth was obviously better then, but I think the upside potential and talent might be better now. The running back situation is no question better now. Tight end was Andrew Corliss, who was not good at all. Uh, Tom Crabtree, who's obviously beloved for several reasons, but he was not great. Donald Donald Lee was not good. Um, 
Jermichael Finley was quite good, but didn't play very much, presumably because of injury. He played um, through week four, basically. And then in week five, he got knocked out of the game. So again, you know, you look at that offensive unit compared to ours, and it's like, who do, what would you... And obviously, it was, it, was, it was good in terms of just being efficient, right? There was no concern like we felt last year, which is why there's a compulsion in me to say there's no way that I would take this year's team over the 2010 offense because you look at Aaron Rodgers and he's just slinging it wherever he wants to go. You can't stop the offense. But I'm not talking about the inefficiency. I'm talking about the talent level, right? Presumably our offensive coordinator is going to fix the efficiency issue where you got talent that's just floating. Nobody's moving anywhere. But um, along the defensive line, you got uh, B.J. Raji was the top guy. He was decent. Cullen Jenkins, meh. Ryan Pickett, meh. And then you had guys like C.J. Wilson, Howard Green, Jarius Wynn, um, you know, no question our defensive line now is better than it was in 2010. And this was a decent defense. The defense is what propelled us. And really it was the defensive play picking up toward the end of the year. But overall, you know, whatever. Edge rushers, Clay Matthews, decent year, right? Not super elite. I mean, <laughs> he was credited. I, I can't even, his pass rush grade was phenomenal. It was his run defense grade is why he was graded out as average. Tackling, pass rush, and even coverage were great. His run defense was in the 40s. But they credited him with 17 sacks, which is ridiculous. 74 total pressures. And again, they don't count half sacks is how you get to 17. Because in their eyes, which makes sense, you don't get penalized because you sacked a guy and somebody else also sacked him. That doesn't make it less of a great play by you. But we had Clay, I guess you could say, in his prime. But opposite him, you had Frank Zombo, um, Eric Walden, Brad Jones... Uh, Brady Papinga, Robert Francois, uh, Mike Neal, just really the only guy that really graded out even remotely good was Brady Papinga, who only played 100 total snaps. Everybody else was hot garbage. So this was a pretty terrible group, minus Clay Matthews being that one guy. Uh, Linebackers, A.J. Hawk and Desmond Bishop. Desmond Bishop played out of his mind this year. He actually had an elite grade, which is crazy. It was actually his second year. In 2009, he was... so. It's kind of weird. Didn't have that long of a career, I guess, so I, I don't exactly know why or how all this unfolded. But he was pretty good in 2007, terrible in 2008. 2009, he was basically elite. Now, in this entire time period, he wasn't really a starter. So then he gets starter status in 2010, remains elite, and it's like, wow, this guy's special. 2011, a little bit of a drop-off, and then he goes and plays for the Vikings. Um, not very much, and then San Francisco hardly at all. 46 snaps for the Vikings, 3 snaps for the 49ers. Again, I don't know what happened. Don't care enough to look it up right now. That's kind of weird because I remember Desmond Bush Bishop, and I don't remember him being that great, but it is what it is. But the linebacking group was pretty decent, especially with A.J. Hawk being at least mediocre at that time. Then your corners, uh, Tremont Williams, Charles Woodson, and this is in Tremont's prime, basically. Uh, It was not Charles Woodson's prime, but obviously Charles Woodson is Charles Woodson. Um, Sam Shields was phenomenal. You also had Jarrett Bush, who was everybody's favorite player to hate at that time. And then guys like Patrick Lee and um, Brandon Underwood, who didn't play very much, but they were also on the team. And it's just fun to say names that you forgot about. Finally, safeties, Nick Collins. And this was the beginning of the descent for Nick Collins. It was actually his, his last full year. He only played about 100 and some snaps, and they were graded out horribly. But uh, yeah, this so he was still decent in 2010, but he was not you know, 2006 through 2009, Nick Collins. And then outside of that, you had Charlie Pepra, who was not good, and Morgan Burnett, who graded out as horrific. Played under 200 snaps, but still, Morgan Burnett was not in his groove quite yet. Uh, Some other guys, Atari Bigby was one of my favorites, just because I like hitters, right? It's why I like, you know, it's why I like linebackers that aren't very good. It's like, I know he's not going to be a good football player when he gets drafted, but I still like him. Atari Bigby was just a killer. And, And comparatively, even, you know, if we look at grades, he actually was better than certain people. He was better than Morgan Burnett, uh, graded out a little bit better than Charlie Pepper, even. Not super. I mean, he's, he's Josh Jones, if Josh Jones could tackle. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Josh Jones is fine in tackling, but it's the same situation, right? He can't cover very well, not much of a pass rusher, but run defense is where he stands out, and then tackling is kind of his thing. Atari Bigby was kind of like Josh Jones, except he was even more violent, and Josh Jones tends to be pretty violent. A um, couple other safeties that were on the team and played a little bit, Derek Martin and Anthony Smith. So again, you look at, look at it and say, okay, what do we need to be a Super Bowl team? What I'm saying, we have what we need to be a Super Bowl team. The, the Super Bowl champion Green Bay Packers were not stacked from top to bottom with super elite talent. And, if you know, if you go through the names 
it sounds great, right? Tremont, Charles Will, with Charles Woodson, Nick Collins, AJ Hawk, Clay Matthews, BJ Raji, Desmond Bishop, Sam Shields, Cullen Jenkins, Ryan Pickett, you know, Nick Barnett, Morgan Burnett, Mike Neal, you know, whatever. Just kind of weave through the names. Aaron Rodgers, Josh Sitton, Scott Wells, Jamichael Finley, Craig Jennings, Jordy Nelson, uh, Darren College, Chad. Clifton, James Starks, James Jones, TJ Lang, Brian Balaga, John Kuhn, uh, Donald Driver, Tom Cratt, right? You just, you hear the names and it's like, oh, what a team. But again, we're picking and choosing. We hear the name and we associate it with the good years. For some of these guys, this is well past their prime. For some of these guys, they're not into their prime yet. For some of them, it's just, you know, a down year. Overall, if you look at what they actually did and who they were in 2010, it's a decent enough unit, but it's, it's whatever. Overall, the Packers had an 85.3 grade. They were the sixth best team in the NFL, tied with the Kansas City Chiefs that year, according to Pro Football Focus. That's good. That's solid. And especially, and I don't want to take away from the Packers winning the Super Bowl, but as far as grades go for teams, it was not a good year. The best team in the NFL was graded out at 88.2, the San Diego Chargers. In other words, there were zero elite teams in 2010, according to Pro Football Focus. In 2018, there were nine teams in the 90s, and there were two teams at 89, one team at 88, right? If we round up 89.8, we're saying that there were 10 elite teams in 2018. Zero in 2010, 10 in 2018, just to show the competition level and how it's changed. Rams 95-4, Patriots 94-2, Saints 93-8. I mean, we can talk about PFF and whatever. Just think about what we see in today's NFL. You're telling me the Chiefs this year wouldn't just annihilate 2010 teams? The Bears defense, the Saints, Breeze, Thomas, Kamara? That's a scary team, man. The Rams with what they're doing, the Patriots. I mean, these are these are scary teams. It's a tough time to be alive in the NFL, man. No, but I, I am excited. I'm very excited for the team. And um, I, I think... Depending on how things fall, right? There's a lot of 50-50 stuff. We don't know what the edge guys are going to do. We don't know what the corners are going to do. A lot of young guys, a lot of new guys. Depending which way it falls, this could be a team that's kind of just whatever. It could be a team that is very, very, very good. And either way, again, the question of do the Packers have what they need to get where they need to go, the answer is yes. They have the guys. Now it's just a matter of execute. It's a matter of... You know, Mike Pettin needs to step up and use these guys in a way that they succeed. LaFleur especially needs to step up and make this offense go. It's not a matter of talent anymore. It's just not. We already know, right? We've seen what Amos can do with other defensive coordinators. We've seen what Zadarius can do with other defensive coordinators. We've seen what Preston can do with other defensive coordinators. We've seen what Rodgers can do. We've seen what... uh, Adams can do. We've seen what a lot of these guys can do if they're utilized properly. Can LaFleur get this offense to go like it already has in the past? I'm really just not buying the the it's on the GM thing after the, I mean we'll see how the rookies pan out, but it's really going to fall pretty heavily on the coaches at this point because again, we've seen the production. Somebody else has got the production out of them. The Packers need to do it now. So, anyways, rant over. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. Um, I will talk to you tomorrow, which is Saturday, because today is Friday. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.